Welcome to the First Baptist Church Brunswick podcast. Join us as we desire to lead people into a deep and thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure that you do, would you please take them out and go to the book of Luke? Luke chapter 4, as we continue our series, we started last week called um, The Man, the Myth, and Messiah, as we look at uh, Jesus' life through the book of Luke. But uh, I tell you what, that was a little exciting there this morning, amen? One of these days, we may hoop and holler, who knows, one of these days, one of these days. But anyways, thank you, Um, thank you, Laura, Carolyn, and Susan, and Josh, and team for leading us in worship. Can we give them another round of applause? Can we do that? Luke chapter 4 is where we are today as we, we began our series on the book of Luke last week. And if you remember, I told you that uh, the goal of this series is simply that we sit at the feet of Jesus. Now, after all that singing we did, it's kind of hard to sit. I know that. But, but the idea is that we want to sit at the feet of Jesus. And in Jesus' day, in the time of antiquity, Um, There was a highly coveted position called that of a rabbi. A rabbi just simply means a teacher, a teacher of the law. We know that Jesus was a rabbi, but we also know that he is much more than a rabbi. Amen? Jesus is the Messiah, and that's what we'll continue to look at through the rest of this series. But um, in rabbinical teaching, um, it taught this about a rabbi that, that he was to have some followers, and his followers were to be called disciples. And the disciples were called and were told to cover themselves in the dirt of the rabbi's feet, which simply meant in rabbinical teachings that a follower of the rabbi is to sit at the feet of the rabbi, or they were to follow so closely behind the rabbi that the dust that he kicked up with his own feet would would cover the disciple. And so this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to look closely at Jesus, our rabbi, the teacher, our Messiah, and I want us to look closely at him as he teaches us about man's oldest problem, temptation. Anybody ever been tempted before? This is man's oldest problem. This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, the temptation, We all eventually will be tempted. And so many times we we know that we are tempted, we know what's going on, we know the right thing to do, but yet we still find it so difficult to say no. Anybody with me on that one? I mean, it's just hard. It is hard to say no to temptation. It's difficult. Oscar Wilde, who is an Irish playwright of old who who chose to live a life with with no restraint. He said this once. He said, I can withstand anything except temptation. I think that's pretty good. He went on to say that the only way to get rid of temptation is to give in to it. As he makes that comment, it reminds me of a story of a man who was who was on a diet and he was struggling. Any of those of you who've been on a diet, you have no idea about the struggle, right? But he tells the story that he was on a diet, he was struggling, and he had to, he had to go downtown to, uh, for a meeting, and he just remembered that uh, the way to his destination, there was this great donut shop. And he thought, you know, 
a good cup of coffee would be really great about right now. And so he begins to drive toward the donut shop, and then he realizes, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on a diet. I can't, I can't do this. I'm not going to do this at all. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. So he, then he prayed. He said, Lord, if you want me to have a cup of coffee and a donut, please let there be a parking space right in front of the donut shop. He said, sure enough, God answered my prayer on the seventh time around the donut shop. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, we just put ourselves in the position where you go, goodness gracious, where we, where, we, where, we give in, where we give in to temptation. Well, when you and I, when we look at Scripture, when we look at God's Word, when we look specifically in the New Testament, the New Testament writers, they, they actually use one single Greek word for a trial and a temptation. A trial and a temptation. Now, the Greek word is pyrasmos. Everybody say that with me, pyrasmos. And in New Testament Greek, it can mean either a trial or a temptation. Now, what's the difference? A, a trial is something that you go through that leads to godliness. It's something that you go through that God allows you to go through, and we all go through some type of test. We all go through some type of trial, but a trial is designed to lead you to godliness and to become more and more like the Heavenly Father. A temptation, a temptation is set up so that it leads you to selfishness, where it leads you to self-pleasure where it leads you to sin. T turn over with me to James chapter 1 real quick. I think it's on the screen behind me as well, but James chapter 1. Listen to what the brother of Jesus says. The brother of Jesus, James, what he says about temptations, about pyrasmos. Look at this. In James chapter 1 verse 12, he writes this. He says, blessed is a man who perseveres under trials. There's the Greek word, Pyrasmos, it can be used as trials or as temptations. But he says, James says, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So according to James, the brother of Jesus, whenever it comes to temptations, whenever it comes to trials, two things that we need to understand when it comes to temptation. Number one is this, when you say no to tem temptation, it is a benefit to you. James says, when you say no, you persevere under the trial, pyrasmos, temptation. He says this, blessed are those. It means when you say no to temptation, it brings happiness to your life. It brings blessedness to your lives. Listen, I believe this with all of my heart, that there is a, that there is a, um, there is a pandemic not of COVID, but there's a pandemic of depression. Are you with me? There is a pandemic of depression. Now, I believe this, that depression, there's some depression that it is chemical imbalance. And I will tell you this, I am not opposed for you to take medication 
if there is a chemical imbalance that you cannot physically take care of yourself. I believe God has given doctors wisdom to create medicine that helps you in situations. I believe that with all of my heart. And a great majority of people who have depression, guess what? It's a chemical imbalance. But I also know that there's a great number of people who are depressed because they're going against God's Word. There is a thing called spiritual depression. It's when you say, when you say yes to temptation, when you give in to temptation and you know what the right thing to do is and you don't do it. When you do that, when you live that life, I'm going to tell you, here what comes your way. Spiritual depression comes your way. But James, the brother of Jesus says, but if you persevere under trial, if you persevere under temptation, here's what he says, you will be happy. You will be blessed. That you will live a life that Jesus talked about in John chapter 10, verse 10, when he says, I have come to give you life, and I've come to give you to the abundance. Many of us, we wonder We wonder why, we wonder why this dark cloud hovers over us. I'm not referencing those who have a chemical imbalance. I'm not referencing those. But I'm referencing those, you wonder why you're under this cloud of depression, and if you could go back, and if you could examine your life, you can say, oh, yeah, I gave in here, I gave in here, I gave in here, I gave in here, I gave in here. It's no wonder. Why? Because God's Word says, if you persevere under parasmas, the temptation, I will give you happiness. And so James says, the brother Jesus says, I will give, Jesus, I will give you life, I will give you, I will give you happiness when you persevere under trial. Again, look back at James 1, uh, verse 12, chapter 1, verse 12. He says this, another thing that will happen to you when you persevere under trial and under temptation is this, Jesus will give you the crown of life. I don't know if you saw that or not, but then James 1, 12, he says, you withstand temptation, you will receive happiness, and then you're going to receive what James says is the crown of life. Now, in Scripture and in antiquity, there are four different types of crown that, that you would or could receive. You could wear a crown of flowers, which represents a wedding or a feast, and it's, and it's joyful. You wear a crown, and it's a joyful moment. Another crown could be a crown of, of, of royalty, that those who are royal, they have a crown. Another one was the crown of the laurel leaves, which would go to the, which would go to the athletic victor, kind of like the Olympic Games. If you were victorious, you wore a crown, a crown of laurel leaves. And the other one was for a crown that, is marked, that marks you with honor and dignity. So here's the picture. You got to get this picture about temptation. That when you resist resist temptation, you are blessed, you are happy, and you receive a crown. Meaning there are benefits to you saying no. There's benefits to you saying no, I'm not going along with the crowd. There's benefits to you saying, no, I'm not going to do it the way of the world. I'm not going to participate in the things of this world. I'm not going to do it. Why? Because God's word says, I will be blessed and he will give me the crown of life if I persevere 
under temptation. Are you all with me this morning? It pays to say no. It pays to say no. As a matter of fact, in our main text in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, we see Jesus standing up to Satan and saying this, I'm not doing it the way of the world. When Jesus is tempted, he is going to show us that he is a different Messiah. He's not going to do it as the world thinks he ought to do it. He says, I'm going to do it the way my heavenly Father has instructed me to do it. So, let's look at our text. Because in our text, we are going to see Jesus the Messiah successfully resist, tempt, resist temptation, and he's going to give us a strategy so that you and I can face temptation. Tempt. I'm having a hard time saying temptation. <laughs> I'm tempted to quit saying that word. But you know what I mean when I say temptation. Follow along. Luke 4, 1 through 13. And this is what it says. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and he was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. He was being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they had ended, he became hungry. Note that last phrase. We're going to come back to that in just a few moments. And the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God... Tell this stone to become bread. Now, stop there for just a second. In our text, it seems like the devil is questioning whether Jesus is the Son of God or he is not. That's incorrect. Our English does not translate the Greek very well here. In Greek, the devil is literally saying, since you are the Son of God. Do you get it? He's not saying, oh, maybe you are. I don't know. No, the devil says, since you are the Son of God. So get this. The devil himself knows who Jesus Christ is. He knows him. And the devil is arrogant enough to go after the Son of God. How arrogant can you be? This arrogance of the devil is consistent with who he is. You read in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 28. You read in the book of Isaiah. You read in the book of Revelation chapter 12. And it, did, and it talks about how the devil was, was thrown out of heaven. He was literally, we think, we think he, he fell out of heaven. No, no, no. The Bible, the, the, the scriptures, Hebrew and in Greek, it literally says that, that God kicked him out of heaven. And why did God kick him out of heaven? Because of his arrogance. He was arrogant. As a matter of fact, you read in Ezekiel chapter 28 when it talks about, um, it talks about the devil, talks about Lucifer. Um, Lucifer was, was the greatest cherub created. The angels, the cherubim, they were the ones who circled around the throne of God. The devil, Lucifer, was the chief cherub. Not only was he circling around the throne of God, he was overseeing the cherubim. So you got to picture this. Satan himself, in all of the glory of God, continually in his presence, for whatever reasons, decides that he is better than the creator. 
And in his arrogance, he convinces a third of the angels to follow him, making them believe that he is the true one to be worshipped. And God says, I'm done with you. You get out. And ever since he's been kicked out, he has been the accuser. He has been the one who slanders, and he has been the one saying, if you're the son of God, do something for yourself. Do you get it? Look at verse number four. And Jesus answered him and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Verse five, and the devil led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory for it has been handed over to me. And look at that next line. And I give it to whomever I wish. Not only is he arrogant, he's a liar. Do you see it? Why is he lying? He cannot give it to whomever he wishes, right? God can only give him the ability to do this. So he's arrogant. He's a liar. Look at verse 7. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall be all yours. Yeah, right. In verse 8, look at what Jesus said. And Jesus answered him and said, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Circle the word worship and circle the word serve and draw a line connecting them together. Because here's the reality, and this is what God, this is what Jesus is saying to Satan, and this is what he's saying to you and I today. He's saying this: whomever you worship is who you are going to serve. Whomever you worship is who you are going to serve. And so Jesus knows this is if you bow to Satan and you worship him, he doesn't just want your worship, he wants your service. He wants all of you. You know this. You know that if you take one inch into temptation, what's that word? When you sin, it's never just an inch. Isn't that right? It's always the mile. It's always more. That's the way Satan wants it. Oh, it, it won't be too bad. Oh, just, just, this little, just this little thing. No, he's, Jesus has already called him out on that. I said, no, listen, you, shall not, you, sh- you need to worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Satan, here's what you, you want people to worship you and you want them to serve you. And I'm telling you what, Satan, you're not going to, I'm not doing that. And neither are we as believers. Verse number nine. And the devil led Jesus to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, since you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. Now, by the way, again, in rabbinical teachings in a Jewish culture, they're looking for the Messiah, right? They don't know that Jesus is the Messiah, but they've been taught to look for the Messiah. And one of the rabbinical teachings teaches the Jews this, that the Messiah will come and he will sit atop the temple and he will make a bold and loud declaration that he is the Messiah. Not only is Satan arrogant, not only is Satan a liar, 
Not only does Satan want everything about you, he knows so many things about you. And he is not afraid to take an unbiblical teaching and convince you to do it. Are you with me? And look at what Satan does next. He now quotes Scripture. Satan quotes Scripture. And he says, Jesus, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Question, do you think Satan believed that? I didn't hear you. Do you think Satan believed that? No. He used it against the Savior. And here's what you need to understand about Satan. Here's what we need to understand about temptation. Satan knows Scripture, but he doesn't love it, and he doesn't apply it. Satan will use Scripture against you. This is why whenever, whenever I teach Scripture, and what I encourage you to do as well, is you do not take anything out of context. Are you with me? You read the context. You allow Scripture to teach you Scripture, to tell you what Scripture believes. You don't take things out of context and apply it to your situation, which was not the situation of that text. When you do that, you can convince yourself to do anything. And listen, when you do that, you're following the technique of Satan. You stay true to Scripture. Well... I'm so far off my notes at this point because I can't say the word temptation and I'm lost. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 13, and when the devil had finished every temptation, he left him. That's funny. Martin Luther uh, the great reformer, uh, the great reformer of old said this. He said, there's three things that make a person of God. He said, number one was meditation on God's Word. Number two was spending time in prayer. And number three was temptation. The great Martin Luther, the great reformer said, you want to be made into a person of God, three things. You meditate on God's Word, you pray, and you get ready for battle. Folks, all throughout Scripture, you will not see a spiritual giant who did not have to go through some type of temptation. I will go on to say this, that you cannot be a mature follower of Christ without strong temptation. It's coming your way. 
If you want to be a person used by God, if you want to be a family used by God, if you want to be a business used by God, listen, if you want to be a church used by the Holy Spirit, then you will have to go through and face various trials and temptations. Because that's the way God forms us. He shapes us. But the good news about the story of Jesus being tempted by Satan is this, is that he knows exactly what you and I are going through. We have a Messiah. We have a Savior who knows every temptation that you will ever encounter. In Hebrews chapter 4, the writer of Hebrews says this, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet is without sin. Meaning this, Jesus in the temptation that he went through in the wilderness, he went through every temptation that you and I can ever experience. And you can say, well, pastor, he doesn't know about the 21st century. Well, oh, yes, he does. He's experienced everything, and he was able to withstand so that you and I can withstand. Later on, Paul will write in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, he said this, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. The Greek, in, when Paul uses no temptation, no temptation, the word Greek is a double, the word, I'm so lost over that word temptation right now. My mind is flying in 40,000 directions right now over that word temptation. Let me tell you this. The Greek word for no and no temptation is this. It's a double negative, which means nothing, no temptation, nothing, absolutely nothing has overtaken you. When we see Jesus being tempted, we need to understand that the temptations we face They are not unique. Every person in this room has been tempted in similar fashions. It's normal. But God's word says, God will not tempt you, not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Have you ever heard the phrase, God will not give you more than you are able to bear? Have you ever heard that statement? It's not true. Do you know what? That's not true. Scripture does not say that. God has never said, I will not give you more than you're able. He says, I will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. Completely different. Because I know many of us have gone through some situations where it is absolutely unbearable. Right? And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he strengthens you. But regarding temptation, he says, you will not be tempted beyond what you are able to bear. And this is what God says, I will give you a way out. Meaning you do not have to say yes to temptation. Students, listen, you don't have to say yes. You don't have to say yes. You don't have to say yes to your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You don't have to say yes to that. 
You don't have to say yes to the, to the parties, to the drinking, to the drugs, or to doing the things that you know are against. You do not have to say yes. Well, they're forcing me to do it. No, you do not have to say yes. Because God has given you the ability to overcome. Well, how do we overcome? Well, let me give you a couple of things that I see in Luke 4, 1 through 13. Some strategies to overcome temptation. Y'all ready for these? I'm going to go through these fairly quickly. I can't say the word temptation, and I've already wasted 35 minutes saying that word temptation. But I want to give you some strategies that, we, that I see in the life of Jesus when he was being tempted. Number one, in order for you to say no, here's some, a strategy. Number one, be filled with the Holy Spirit. When we encounter Jesus... And he encounters the temptation from Satan. We find this in verse number one. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. Meaning this. Before Jesus came into the area of temptation, he was already full of the Spirit. He was full of the Spirit. So that means that you can still be full of the Spirit and still be tempted. Being full of the Spirit does not keep you from being tempted, but being full of the Spirit gives you the ability to withstand the temptation. Paul later writes in Galatians 5.16, he says this, I tell you to walk by the Spirit and do not gratify, do not satisfy, do not carry out the desires of the flesh. So that means you have a responsibility to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We talked about that just a few weeks ago. That we spend time with the Heavenly Father, He fills us with the Holy Spirit, and we go about our daily lives knowing the temptation is going to come, but since we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to say no. Number two, the second thing that I see as a strategy that Jesus shows us in saying no to temptation is this, be prepared to be tempted, especially after a victory. Be prepared to be attacked, especially after a victory. Verses 1, it says, as Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan. Now, what does that mean? Well, in John chapter 3, it tells us what, excuse me, in Luke chapter 3, it tells us what Jesus did. In Luke 3, he had just been baptized. God spoke. He said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. You listen to him. And that's the beginning of his ministry. It was a high moment. It was a mountaintop experience for Jesus. And I don't know about you, I love mountaintop experiences, don't you? I love it when things are on high and you experience the presence of God. But can I tell you something? You and I were not made for the mountaintop experiences. We're not made to stay there. You have to come back down to earth. Most of life is in the mundane. That's where life is. But know this, when you've had a mountaintop spiritual experience, a spiritual victory, get ready. Satan will attack. I remember several years ago when I was in college, I publicly reaffirmed my call into the ministry. As many college students, I was wrestling with some things, and I reaffirmed what I sensed God tell me at the age of 16, and so I publicly reaffirmed that call, it was a mountaintop experience for me. 
And then that night, I played in a church league basketball game. You know where this is going? In the game, I proceeded to get two technicals and get kicked out of the game. He fouled me, y'all. He fouled me. Point being is, I had an emotional mountaintop experience. I wasn't prepared. Does that make sense? When you have that moment and you thank God for that moment, but you be ready because Satan, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to whom he may devour. Number one, be filled with the Spirit. Number two, be prepared. Attacks come in after a victory. Number three, we see the example of Jesus is this. In order to be strong enough to say no, you have to spend much time alone with God. Look at verse 1 and 2. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. He was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. The scholars will say that Jesus in these 40 days, he was obviously by himself, but he was contemplating, praying, and preparing for the next three years of his life. He has three years left to do his ministry. He's getting prepared, and he's spending time alone with the Father. And so many times you look in Scripture, you see Jesus often retreat to the Father to go spend time with him. You see all the great men and women in Scripture, they take time away to spend with the Heavenly Father. Why? Because they know that somebody wants to go against them. One of my favorite passages of Scripture, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 18, says this, and then David the king went in and he sat before the Lord. Folks, the greatest thing that you and I can do is to sit before for the Lord because your intimacy with the Heavenly Father is going to give you the power and is going to give you the strength to overcome the temptations. But you have to set that time aside because you find power and you find strength when you spend time alone with God. Here's number four. Number one, be filled with the Spirit. Number two, be prepared after a victory for temptation. Number three, spend time alone with God. Number four, be aware of your physical condition. Be aware of your physical condition. Look at the end of verse number two. When it said, he became what? He became what? Hungry. Greek says hangry is what the Greek says. It says he became hungry. When did, when did Satan attack Jesus? When he was hungry. Satan attacked Jesus when he was hungry. A great pastor, a friend of mine, actually Owen Bozeman, who preached here a couple of weeks ago, he taught me this about temptation. He said, he said this. He says, Satan will go after you when you are very weak. And he gave me an acronym. It's the word HALT. H-A-L-T. T. You might want to write this down. This is good. I'll tell you when to write things down because I know it's good, right? This one's good. Halt. H-A-L-T. He taught me this, and we see this right here in Scripture. He says, Satan will often come after you when you are hungry, angry, lonely, 
and tired. Halt. Hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. And Owen reminds me, says, when you are aware of those things in your life, he said, halt. Don't make any decisions when you are hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. When did Satan attack Jesus? When he was hungry. So to overcome temptation, know your physical situation. Know what's going on around you. Here's number five. Here's, here's number five. Two more things and we'll be done. Number five, know and use Scripture. When you want to withstand temptation, use the example of Jesus. Follow the example of Jesus. Every time Jesus was tempted, he came back with Scripture. He came back with Scripture. Now, Jesus was not walking around the wilderness carrying his Bible. Satan tempted him, and Jesus did not go, oh, excuse me. He didn't do that. Instead, what he did is he knew the Word. Well, he was the Word. He is the Word. True. But he knew the Word. He quoted the Old Testament to Satan. Satan tempted him, and he came immediately back with Scripture. And so I would just tell you this, that if you have a certain temptation, and I believe this, that every single person has a specific temptation that is more prominent in your life. Does that make sense? We've all got something. We're all messed up some way. So what you need to do is find a scripture directly related to that situation. And when Satan comes knocking on your door, you quote it back to him. And, and you know this, you know what's going to happen. When you quote it, Satan will go away for like what? Two seconds. And he's back again, right? And you quote the scripture again. He goes away for three seconds this time. And it's just a process that you know and you use scripture. This is why Paul says that the scripture is the sword of the spirit. You have to wield the sword. You have to use it, which means you memorize Scripture. You memorize it. You make that a part of your spiritual discipline. You memorize Scripture. And then here's the last thing, and then we're going to be done. Number six, know your enemy because he's coming back again with more attacks. Look at the end of Luke chapter 4. Look at verse number 13 the end of our text. Verse 13 says this, when the devil had finished everything, every temptation, he left him until what? An opportune time. Know this, that when you say no, he's coming back. He's coming back. And I believe verse number 13 is in this text in this Bible, in the Bible for this reason. God wants you to know how Satan operates. He wants you to know how he operates. Satan has been using the same bag of tricks for years. He hasn't changed. He tempts, you resist, he goes away, he comes back. He tempts, 
You give in, he condemns. That's, that's it. He tempts, you resist, he goes away, he comes back. He tempts, you give in, he condemns. But through it all, Scripture tells us this, you persevere under trial. You persevere. Now, how can you persevere? It's because Jesus did. Because he did it, you can do it as well. Let me close with this, this story. I don't know if it's a true story or not, maybe a preacher's story, and that's fine, but the story goes of a little girl who was asked by her parents, if Satan ever tempted her to do, to do something wrong, and this girl in all of her honesty and transparency, she said this, oh yeah, Satan asked me to do things wrong. He does. The parents said, well, what do you do when Satan asks you to do something wrong? The little girl thought about it for just a moment. And then she said this. This is so awesome. She said, whenever Satan knocks on the door of my heart, I just turn to Jesus and say, will you go enter the door? <laughs> That's pretty good. I'm telling you, Satan is going to knock at, the, at your door because that's who he is. But when he knocks, you just look to our Messiah, the one who is beaten, bloodied, and nailed to a cross, who's buried the stone rolled over him. But on the third day, the one who rose from the grave, victorious, you look to him and say, Jesus, you go into the door. And you persevere. Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, may we not be blinded to the schemes of the devil. But may we follow your example and persevere and in persevering we will receive life and we will receive a crown and oh Lord we desire that Father thank you for giving us the victory in Jesus name we pray and everybody said Amen let's stand